Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, Scott. Hi, James. How's it going today? It's going. They, uh, Encinitas officially opened up the beach to activities. Yeah, it's all surfing. We're laying on the beach, but you can go surf again. Okay. Well, that's stuff. Yeah. Huge. You been out yet? No. Planning to go this week, though. Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. Good, good. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what question do we have on deck today? So, uh, always a good one to learn for the listeners at home, but I thought this was especially um, poignant with the markets doing what they're doing. Um, and so, the question we're going to answer today is um, why should I rebalance my portfolio. What's a rebalance? Exactly. So before we go and say, should you do it or shouldn't you do it? We have to start with what is it? Um, So why don't we start big picture? Um, Most people, when they talk about if they come chat with an advisor, they're thinking they're looking at their investment accounts, they consist of uh, most commonly stocks and bonds. Mm -hmm. Agreed? Agreed. Um, and so, you know, people will say kind of what their allocation is and that's where you hear things like, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, in a 60, 40 portfolio, 60% of my money's in the stock market and 40% of it's in the bond market. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the reasons we invest in both of those things, there's always a risk reward profile that we're trying to honor, right? If we want to let things go grow as fast as they can, and we don't care about big downturns, you might have 100% of your money in the stock market, 100% in equities. Or if you're in maybe shifting to retirement and you need to be more, more care, a bit more careful with the, the volatility and the movement of that portfolio, you might shift to a more conservative portfolio, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, commonly seen as like 50-50 and 60-40 probably for those longer duration portfolios. So let's pretend we have a 60-40 portfolio for this example. Does that sound good? Sounds good. So let's just say we have $100,000 and um, we're going to invest it in a 60-40 allocation. So $60,000 would go in the stock market and $40,000 would go in the bond market. Okay. And then we just walk away. We pay no attention to it. And over the course of, you know, maybe let's just say seven years or so, eight years, um, the stocks double in size. I like that. The bonds basically stayed the same. So if we, if we haven't done any rebalancing along the way, remember we, we, we went in and we invested thinking that this allocation of 60% in the stock market, 40% in the bond market is what we really need to get us where we want to go. And it's, the, it's an amount of risk that we're willing to, to handle. Um, but now we've just walked away for seven years. We came back and now we have $120,000 in stock. And we have forty thousand dollars in bonds, so our new asset allocation would actually be seventy-five percent stocks and twenty-five percent bonds. Hmm. So it's a little different than it started. 
different than it started because different asset classes are going to have different returns. Mm -hmm. Now I may be tempted to look at that and say, what's, what's so bad about that? I just have more stocks. I still have the same amount of bonds. Uh, why does it matter that the actual mix, the percentage mix is different? Yeah. Cause, cause what we, what we really care about is the amount, the risk and reward that we're getting overall. Mm -hmm. We want to be managing to that more so than if we could, if we thought you could have handled a 75, 25 allocation to begin with, we should have started with $75,000 in stocks and $25,000 in bonds. Right. Right. So this is a way of controlling for that mix, which as you mentioned is, is going to dictate how much you can both grow by and how much risk is in your portfolio. Yeah. And that, that, that same thing can happen obviously to the, to the other way as well. Right. We could have, um, imagine that you just, you at the very top of a market, you invest 60,000 in the stock market and 40,000 in the bond market. Well, what if the stock market cut itself in half, hmm. right? And you didn't do any rebalancing. Well, then you would, you would have $30,000 in the stock market and $40,000 in the bond market. That would shake out to a slight, not a perfect 75, 25. That would shake out to a 42, 58, I believe, <laughs> would roughly be the numbers on the percentage side of things. So now we, we would have, wouldn't have enough risk in our stock stocks and we'd have too much risk or, or not enough risk, too much, uh, too much in, the, in the way of bonds. So we use that, we can use rebalancing to help us keep the level of risk and return that we're trying to accommodate for in our portfolios, which should hopefully, if you, as long as you're um, doing this on your own or you're working with an advisor, translate back to your financial plan, which should help you align all of your money with the life you guys want to live. Got it. So in both of those examples, you started with what you might call your ideal portfolio, your target portfolio needed to help you accomplish your financial goals. But in the one example, it became a much more aggressive portfolio as stocks increasingly went up. In mm -hmm. the other example, it became an increasingly more conservative portfolio as stocks went down and bonds stayed the same. So it's a way of controlling that risk return, regardless of what's happening in the market. And, and so practically speaking, the rebalance is just saying, okay, if stocks have gone up relative to the bonds in your portfolio, sell some of the stocks to buy some bonds. If bonds have gone up in your portfolio relative to how much uh, stocks have gone up, you might sell some bonds to buy more in stocks. Um, we'll, of course, talk about the details of how do you know when to do that. But mm. I think that's generally speaking what rebalancing is, and it's topical right now because stocks and bonds have performed very differently just in the past few weeks and couple months here. Yeah, yeah. So we saw a big pullback in the stock market with the um, coronavirus and the, the global pandemic going on, right? We saw that pullback quite a bit. And so when that did, if you're running portfolios where you're monitoring portfolios based on um, targets that you're running for risk and return profiles, it, it may have triggered some rebalancing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, maybe next we could jump into, so the, so the idea of, of the first premise is, you know, a risk and return profile you're willing to take, which allows you to set an asset allocation. And from there, you're kind of, you, you buy into the concept of that works. And when you go look back at the academic um, papers and, and such on it, for having a, a specified allocation, it is designed to help people make it through um, various goals that they have. So once you, once you uh, believe that, and you're not going to try to time when are you going to turn on investing in the stock market or all investing in the bond market, if we could have a different discussion about, we're, gonna, we're operating under the assumption that's not a good option. Um, but now that we know we want to have that allocation, the question is, when do we look to rebalance? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? 
Um, and I think there's, there's really two main times people look to rebalance. Um, one is um, we look to rebalance based on a time, just simply a date. So you may decide at least once a year, I'm gonna go look at my accounts and if I see that the the my my portfolio is not you know if it, if it went from my sixty grand to to the one twenty if that double happened in a year well I'm going to go rebalance it back to sixty forty mm -hmm. uh, in that one time that I go look at it that's the first way we can do it is just looking at it on a periodic basis you have to go sit down and take a look at it the other way you can do it is you can put on what are called tolerance bands so um, have you ever heard of that before. Yeah, so you have, <laughs> but yeah, for people right. at home, uh, a, a tolerance band, rather than looking at it from a time period, you're going to look at it from a period of how much drift are you going to allow the portfolio to have? So if we put, let's say we put a 20% tolerance band on that 60-40 allocation, what we're basically saying is we're okay letting the equity portfolio go up to uh, 72%, right? 60 times 0.2 would be 12%. So if it gets up to 72%, we're okay. If it gets down to 48%, we're still okay. But if it goes above that or below that, we have to go make a change, mm -hmm. right? And so what you do is you run portfolios in the background and, and you run a system in the background where you're constantly looking at, has anything changed to a point where I need to go make a trade or make a, dip, make a, dip, a change in the portfolio? Yeah, That's what a tolerance band would do. Now, as you're looking at this, you can either rebalance based on a day. So let's get set one day per year or one day per quarter or whatever range you want versus using tolerance bands. Which do you think is more effective and why? Yeah. So when you looked at the um, research on it, the, the best way to handle it were tolerance bands. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because it creates, it allows for the, it, it allows for changes to happen when opportunity arises. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is if the stock market's on a tear and it's, it's going, it's growing gangbusters, um, stock markets typically don't just go up and to the right, right? It's usually not a straight line. There's usually periods where it's going really well and periods where it's not doing as well. So if you can um, have tolerance bands built in, it will allow you to go make trades based on when, a, when the timing, when the market says so, mm -hmm. not based on the time that you went to go check on it. And if you can do that um, in a manner with tolerance bands, it's helpful. It can usually help you get where you want to go a little bit faster than if you just rebalance based off of time of year. Right. Yeah, fully agree. Because the rebalance, ultimately, you're, you're doing this when the relative performance has, has changed. So when one asset class or one of your investments has performed much differently than another one of your investments. And there's nothing to say that in any given year or quarter or month, those asset classes will perform that differently. So it's good to have, I guess, at a minimum, an annual check-in or a monthly check-in or a quarterly check-in or whatever it is just to see if something happened. But I do agree that it's more effective to have something that's monitoring this for you, saying, okay, this asset or this investment has deviated 10% or 20% or whatever the threshold is away from what you want it to be or what portion of your portfolio you want it to represent. Yep, exactly. And the 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 twenty that twenty percent threshold. When you look at the um, the research that had been done, that was kind of found to be an optimal threshold relative to costs of entering and exiting. When you start to account for taxes, it used to account for trading costs too. Trading costs have come down to virtually nothing. 
Mm -hmm. um, but for like when it makes sense to look at doing rebalances, because you could tighten up that tolerance, right? And really keep it tight, but but was it as helpful? I'm sure there'll be more um, like white papers on that in our industry now that like costs of trading have gone down to virtually nothing. Yeah. Uh, but you still have tax consequences of those trades. So that'll be impact could be impactful. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. So, so for, for why I, for, for, um, for how you go about doing it, I think that's a pretty good descriptor. Is there anything else you want to add on that? Not, not to the why, but I think the, I guess kind of the why is this helps to take some of the emotion out of it. If you say yeah. the front end, I'm going to rebalance my portfolio when it, when whatever investment deviates 10% or 20% or whatever it is away from what I want it to represent, it takes the emotion out of it because we've just gone through a time period where stocks fell very quickly in just a short period of time. Yes. And in looking at that, a rebalance may have been triggered, but if you're sitting there trying to second guess it, saying, oh, do I think they're going to keep falling? Do I really want to rebalance now? Why do I want to sell my bonds that have maybe gone up in value to buy stocks that have gone down in value? That's a difficult thing to do in practice. So having the structure helps you to make those unemotional decisions that we know pay off over time, but are very difficult in the moment. I couldn't agree more. Um, and that's what I, I said why, but I meant for the, for the how to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was jumping to the why. I love that you went there ahead of time because uh, you, you got there. It's such a good thing. But you're exact, you're, you couldn't be more right. Like, the the why we do this is twofold, right? It, it we know there's a there's a rel, there's an amount of risk that we need to take. You know, when when we talk as advisors about um, risk, there's really three ways to look at risk. There's your ability, your willingness, and your need, right? And we need all three to be working together. Um, what you just pointed at, when we have a, a a a reason to rebalance and we look at rebalancing, so hard when markets are falling to say, I'm gonna go buy more right now. So much better if we have a process, a proven process that's designed to help us build you know, the plans and, and, the, and the investment strategies that we want to help us optimally get where we wanna go. In that moment, we we're using our process that's designed and tested. Um, we come back in and we say, yep, it's time to buy. Yeah, yeah. Time we to do it. You know, everyone knows, yeah, you wanna buy stocks when they're down, you wanna buy investments when they're down, but then, Stocks are down, and all of a sudden it becomes very difficult to actually buy because emotionally. And, and the same for the opposite, right? When things are running to the hilt and everything's going so well, people get are you're like, I don't want to sell right now and go buy some bonds. Why would I do that? And it's because you're managing to a risk and return profile for yourself. It's not that you're you're just trying to you can't let emotion take it over. And this is a wonderful uh, way to help make sure that doesn't happen. Absolutely. And because it's been proven in study after study that it either helps to increase your returns by forcing you to sell high and buy low or decrease your risk for the same amounts of return or some combination of the two. So it absolutely works. It's just you need to have the mechanisms in place to, uh, to execute on it. Otherwise, most people left to their own kind of uh, gut instinct won't do it correctly. Yeah. You know, another thing to think about here is for we, uh, a lot of people will think about portfolios and maybe the main place you're going to have a portfolio is going to be like your 401k. Um, in a sense, there's a version of rebalancing happening for you every time if you've set your contribution amounts to match the, um, the, con the allocation that you want to have in your portfolio as is. Because every month, every time you get paid, 
you're going and buying into those positions. So it makes for drift to ha- it takes a lot longer for drift to occur I, when you're buying in consistently over time. It's really when you're if you're in a static position where you're not adding contributions to an account that um, these drifts happen or are more prevalent. Right. Right. Fully agree. Yeah, that's the nice thing about the 401k. Is there any other account that you're constantly adding money into? You're you're constantly buying low just by the fact of putting new money in to each of your investments. And you're, you're guaranteeing that you're going to buy the investment that's down the most, which may have the most upside potential, at least in the short term. Yeah. So does this, when, when we're looking at this, Scott, am I just looking at my stock to bond ratio or, or what, what does this apply to? Obviously, I might have an investment account with multiple different investments. How do I look at all of those when it comes to rebalancing? Yep. So that's where, you know, obviously you could be 60% in the stock market and 40% in the bond market, but you may also be within the stock market invested in the United States and internationally and in emerging markets. Maybe you hold a real estate investment trust. Um, you can apply the same, the same framework, right? What position do you want to hold in that and why? And then you can either have a tolerance band on around each of those positions or you can have um, just go back to that model allocation um, as as you see fit periodically. Yeah, yeah, agreed. It's not just within stocks and bonds, but in the different types of stocks and bonds can be rebalanced against each other as well. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, anything? Any other details about this? Uh, no, I, I think that the the action here is if you have accounts, go look at them. Uh, if you, well, a few things, one, if you don't have an asset allocation, ask yourself why, right? Like, like you normally want to have an asset allocation to help you with the process of how should you be investing? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you do have one, go take a look at how you're invested and see if you should be making any change. Right. Fully agree. Yeah. Now is a good time better to do it. And to, and, and when you're, if you're work, especially if you're, if you're working towards retirement, this is an easier one to frame out than even if you are retired, but it still applies the same way. Stock markets had a pullback and they worked, they worked on a downward trend for a little while. And when that happens, we can get fearful about that. But if instead of thinking, looking at the price of your, the, the value of your account in that moment, you go look at the number of shares you hold and you look at a rebalance and you realize you can buy more shares right now for a lesser price. You know, and if you believe in capitalism and you believe in the markets and the way things work and that people are going to wake up tomorrow and go try to better their lives and the lives of people around you, that usually leads to, you know, what was it, three out of four years, the stock, it's like 70% of the time stock market's up. We mm-hmm. have the, we did the percentages on the, that one, a few That's episodes ago or about like depending on how long the time horizon is with the probability of it working for you. But in that moment, you can go buy. And by doing that, you gave yourself more shares, which will probably work out in your favor, which is why we believe in rebalancing. Right. So if, if you haven't done it, um, go look and see if you should and go do it and reach out to your, your professionals if, if you have one to see if they can help you. Yeah, absolutely. Now a good time to rebalance. It is a very good, at least at a minimum, uh, check for rebalance. You, know, you may look and determine one's not needed, but you certainly should be looking, especially as things have been... Uh, very up and down, which is the scenario that creates yeah. a balance opportunity. That's actually a pretty good point to end on because you know we're it, uh, when you, especially if you run tolerance bands, you're going to go run uh, check. Should I rebalance? And so often you're going to say no. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. did something there. <laughs> you made sure that you stayed on course. Right. Um, that is valuable. 
um, more so it's not just about like, did I have to take action? It's did you, did you look at the process and follow the process? Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, anything else on rebalancing besides uh, going and checking? I think, that's a, I think that's a good overview for today. Uh, I hope it's helpful to the listeners at home. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer in a future episode, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there'll be a section there where you can submit your question for Scott and I to answer in a future episode. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.